Well, I do again want to say good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles. Let's go to Psalm 51 this morning. We're going to finish up uh, this particular psalm. I uh, want, to, want to share a story with you I, I read a while ago. I, I found it uh, again this week, and it just always kind of makes me laugh a little bit. It's about a man who went golfing with his friend. And they're just out on the golf course, and as typical, they just struck up, you know, some conversation. And so the man's friend just said, so, how are you and your wife doing? And the man's face just dropped. His friend was like, oh, no. What? He said, what's going on, man? What, what's, what's the problem? The man looked up just really somber and, and sorrowful. He said, well, my wife and I, we're not doing so well right now. We had a terrible fight last night, and she just went historical on me. Friend was like, historical? I think you mean hysterical. Man goes, no, I mean historical. She brought up every wrong thing I've ever done in our marriage. For some of us, that'd take a lot longer, right? Don't answer that. Um, you know, that, that story kind of hits home for a lot of us. Maybe not in your marriage, though certainly possibly in your marriage. But it hits home because it's how we feel in our walk with God. You're trying to grow spiritually, and, and for a while things seem to be going really well. And then all of a sudden something happens, and in the blink of an eye, the voice of accusations, guilt, and shame start whispering in your ear start feeling defeated you start feeling this this heavy weight just laying on your chest and no matter how hard you try no matter how many lessons or sermons you've ever heard on how God forgives us and he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west you just can't get past your past and what's worse you're con- you've convinced yourself that God hasn't forgotten it either so you try a little harder. And no matter how hard you try, it's like the DVD of your life is the button stuck on repeat. What do you do? How, do? how do you get past this to what God wants? Here's the one big thing. Our greatest need is not changed behavior. It's a transformed heart and life. Let's look at it together. Psalm 51, I'm going to start in verse 5, and I'm going to ask if you can, and would stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm 51 and verse 5 says, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. 
Father, we thank you again for your word. And God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, the one big thing is our greatest need is not changed behavior. It is a transformed heart and life. We began this text last week. We looked at the first two things that we need to see. Uh, If you missed it or just want a refresher, uh, you can find it there Apple Podcasts, or uh, if you have Android, uh, tune in SoundCloud. Uh, you, you can find it there. But as we continue to walk through this text this morning, there's two other things we need to see. The first one is in verse 5, and it's this. We need to see that sin is our condition. This, this is a very important, vital concept for you and I to understand. Sin is not first a bad behavior. Sin is a condition that produces our behavior. So, what it's what David is getting at in verse 5 is that we are born with a sin nature. So, we don't, we're not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because that's what sinners do. That's what he's getting at here in, in verse 5. And that's a really heavy truth for us to understand, but we have to understand It's not just our actions that are the problem. It's the reasons that we do it. That's the problem. Why why did David go out and commit adultery? Because there was sin in his heart. Why do we lose our cool and get angry and spout off at the mouth? Because there's sin in our heart. You know, the, the root of all sin is a diseased heart. This is where David is going at. And David talks about in this, in this psalm how he is constantly confronted with it. Look there in verse 3. It says, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Now, this isn't just David going, Oh, yeah, I sinned. Yeah, I messed up. This is David talking about every day of his life right now. Most of you probably know the backdrop of Psalm 51. In case you don't, or maybe you can't recall it, let me set the scene. It's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 11. David has committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He has conspired, he has lied, and he has committed murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan to confront him. And so after this confrontation with Nathan, sometime uh, between that and some later events, David writes this psalm. So when he says, for my sin is ever before me, he is relaying the pain and the anguish he experiences every day. Because every day he saw Bathsheba, he would be reminded, I committed adultery. I committed murder. She became pregnant as a result of that relationship. And so as her pregnant belly grew month after month, he was again reminded of what he had done. So when he says that my sin is ever before me, he is saying constantly bombarded by it. Every time I see my wife, every time I, I see her, you know, growing and getting closer to the living right child, I'm reminded of what I did. And this reminder of his sin makes him feel unworthy of love. 
there's a high probability this morning that there's at least somebody in this service just like the 830 who feels that same pain that same shame and guilt maybe you didn't have an adulterous relationship maybe you didn't kill anybody but it's some sin in your life and and maybe you've managed to, to keep it hidden for this time but it's a burden that's just weighing you down it's soul crushing you are so afraid that somebody's gonna find out about what you did that when you come to church you put on a mask you try to pretend like everything's okay but inside you're dying you're crying out for help but you're so afraid that that mask is gonna get ripped off and you're afraid that people aren't gonna love you they're not gonna accept you and worse you've listened to the lies of Satan so much that you believe the lie he's telling you that God did love you but then you did that and God doesn't care about you anymore and so you feel unworthy and you feel like your sin is always before you like your sin is keeping you from doing what, what you desire to do you feel dirty you feel ashamed you feel guilty you feel unworthy of anybody's love especially a holy righteous God's love to you I say this allow the gospel to speak to you today. Allow it to comfort you, encourage you, and yes, transform you. Because Psalm 103, 12 reminds us that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. Romans 8 and verse 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So understand this morning that if you have confessed your sin, if you have turned from your sin and turned in faith to Christ, that that sin that you think is holding you back, God has already removed it from you. It's gone. He paid for it with his blood on the cross. There is nothing keeping you from loving, obeying, and serving God other than you. It's time you stop listening to all the wrong voices and start listening to the voice of God. And understand the forgiveness that David is is teaching about and that he himself has experienced. But before you get there, some of you need to be reminded of a truth of who we really are. You see, so often we think that we're good people who simply do bad things. But what does Scripture teach about us? Well, listen to what. Paul writes in Romans 3. He says, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together unprofitable. There's none that does good, no, not one. See, we're not good people who occasionally do bad things. We're bad people who have been saved by an incredibly good, loving, gracious God. What Paul, what Paul is writing about there in, in Romans 3 is this. That if we had a choice to go our way or to go God's way, and it was just our choice, we would go our way every single time. We would choose 
to live our own life instead of the life that God has given us. And I understand how uncomfortable that really is to talk about. But until we are confronted with the fact that sin is not just what we do, it's who we are, then we will not understand our greatest and deepest need. See, our greatest and deepest need is the need of a new heart. We see there in verses 7 to 10. What we have convinced ourselves of from time to time is this. That what I really need to do is just change my behavior. And so we settle for moralism instead of a relationship with Jesus. And and moralism is, is this. I don't smoke or chew or go with those who do. Moralism is, it, it teaches this. All you got to do is just try a little bit harder. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Do the right things. And, and all of that is great. It sounds great. It makes sense to us. But here is the issue. The primary issue is not what we do. The primary issue is who we are. And we can't change who we are on our own. If we could change who we are on our own, then Jesus would not have had to have left the glory of heaven to come to this earth and to die on a cross. And so one of the first things that we have to do is we have to be able to admit that I am powerless to change who I am on my own. But glory to God, he sent Jesus. This is where we have to start. Because until we understand that we'll still think that I can just try a little bit harder I I can do just a little bit more some of you need to rest in this fact this morning there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already loves you and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less than he already loves you 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 need to rest in that fact this morning you know Romans 8.32 Paul says for he who did not spare up, uh, spare his son, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Paul said, listen, God gave us Jesus. And if he would give us Jesus, then what would he withhold from us? If he would not require you and I to die for our sins and to pay our penalty to save ourselves, then what is, what's God going to hold from us? The answer is nothing. That in Jesus, God has given us everything we ever need. But maybe you're wondering, how does God produce the conviction that leads to conversion? How, How does God get my attention so that I understand my need for Him? I love when you guys ask questions that go right along with the outline. It helps keep things moving along. It's right there in verse 8, by the way. There's a lot of different ways God does it, but here's one way. Listen, he says, make me to hear joy and gladness. You know, uh, later in verse, uh, just, just a couple verses later, he says, restoring to me the joy of my salvation. There in verse 12. But here's the end of verse 8. That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. See, before David became king, David was a shepherd. And so David is remembering how a shepherd would care for his sheep. David knew, as a shepherd, that sheep are sometimes unintelligent animals. 
they will wander off by themselves. And because the shepherd loves the sheep, he leaves those who are there to pursue the one who has wandered off. Because what the sheep doesn't realize is by wandering off, he has put himself in a great amount of danger. And so the shepherd, to demonstrate his love for his sheep, he goes after the sheep. And he searches high and low until he finds that sheep. And then he rejoices that he's found the sheep. But then he does something that seems kind of harsh. He would break one of their legs. The shepherd would take the, the rod. All right, it, this, this will bring up the imagery of Psalm 23, all right, verse uh, 4 and 5. He takes that rod, which is more like a club to protect. And he pounds it against the sheep's leg. And he breaks one of its legs. Now, for a lot of us, it's like, that's harsh. Why in the world would you break one of your sheep's legs that you love? And that therein is your answer. Because the shepherd loves the sheep. You see, there's two purposes behind a shepherd breaking a sheep's leg. The first one is disciplinary. The shepherd needs the sheep to understand that when you do this, you put yourself in a great amount of risk. You have put yourself in danger. Think of it this way. Parents, when your children did something unintelligent, did you just put your hand on your hip and go, you know what, you shouldn't do that? No. You discipline them. Why? Because you love them. Where did we learn that? Well, David's son, Solomon. He writes in Proverbs chapter 3, My son, do not despise the disciplining of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. And so while breaking the leg of a sheep seems harsh, it's actually one of the most loving things the shepherd can do. Why? Because the second purpose of breaking the leg was to protect the sheep. Not from the wolves, but to protect the sheep from itself. You and I are sheep. And we need protection from ourselves. We often think our greatest and worst enemy is somebody out there. We're, we're worried about ISIS coming in and, and planting a flag or, or we're worried uh, about a jerk of a co-worker getting us fired or, or some boss that just doesn't like us and, and all of this. We're worried about all of those things. But the greatest danger that we have is us. Because on our own, we are prone to wonder from God. I mean, we've even, we've even written it into our hymnal. Remember, come thou found of every blessing. Uh, hymn... 15, I think, in, in our hymnal. Part of the last verse says, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The shepherd in breaking the sheep's leg is trying to protect the sheep from itself. And at the same time, teach the sheep that the shepherd loves them and will protect and will provide. See, here's the thing. With a broken leg, that sheep's not going to be able to move a whole lot. 
Shepherd doesn't just leave it there and say, stay here till I come back. No. That shepherd picks the sheep up, puts it on shepherds, and carries And that's what God is trying to do for us. Because we as sheep have wandered off in our own sinfulness to where God has loved us so much that he has come and graciously pursued us. And when he has found us, sometimes he has to break our leg so that we learn to be dependent on him. So here's, here's what I want us to understand. What God is allowing in your life right now, that thing that is causing you the most pain and, and, and difficulty, may be the very thing that God is trying to use to bring you to him. And this is what we, got, we have to have. Now, how do I know that God is behind it? Look at what David says. This is amazing. He says that the bones, verse 8, that the bones which thou has broken. Who's he talking to? To God. He's saying, God, you broke my bones. God, you disciplined me. Because I'd wandered off from you. David committed adultery. David lied and he conspired to commit murder. These are, these are undeniable, undisputed facts of the case. David is guilty. You and I are guilty. But don't miss this. All right, did David sin? Yes. Did God allow him to experience the consequences of his sin? Yes. But God never stopped loving David and he has never stopped loving you. The most painful thing that God could ever do for any of us is to let us wander off in our sin to where we are in danger of the wolf or worse, the cliff. Because the shepherd has to protect the sheep from itself. He will go to extraordinary lengths to demonstrate his love for us. So don't despise it. Don't doubt God's love. Don't doubt God's goodness. Don't doubt his plan for what you're experiencing right now. Rather, understand that it is a loving shepherd meeting you in your sin and your shame and trying to show you need me. The shepherd did all the work. The sheep, just being a sheep, wandered off. The shepherd did the pursuing. The shepherd did the discipline. And the shepherd did the carrying of the burden. It's a picture of Jesus on the cross. Carrying our sin, our shame, and paying the price. Breaking the, the leg of the sheep didn't make the shepherd's life any easier. It made it harder. But it was the only way to restore the sheep back to the fold. And that's what God's trying to do in your life right now. He has broken your leg to teach you a lesson and to bring you back to him because he loves you. You know, when we follow God, when we are the closest to the shepherd, we are the safest and we are the furthest from sin. 
See, that shepherd would have to carry that sheep for days, for weeks, until that leg healed. And in that time, the sheep learned of the love of the shepherd and that they could trust the shepherd to provide exactly what it needed. God will let us wonder for a while. But then because of his great love for us, he will come and break our leg so that he can bring us back, so that we can learn. The closer I am to the shepherd, the safer I am and the further from sin and danger I am. But how do I do that? what, What do I do in all of this? You learn to cry out to Jesus. See, the only answer for sin is an appropriate sacrifice. And here's the great thing. God is not asking us to make the sacrifice because he has already made the sacrifice. Some of you are trying to work for what God in his grace already has given you. And so he is calling us. The sacrifice is made by by Christ on the cross. There's nothing that you and I can do to add to it. There's nothing that we could take away from it because it was the perfect sacrifice. If we want to be as clean as David says there in in verse 7, we have to understand what can wash my sins away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What you and I could never do, Jesus on the cross has done for us. So the question before us is this. What's keeping you from surrendering to the shepherd? What is keeping you from giving the heart that the shepherd died for and the life that the shepherd wants to give you? What is keeping you from giving it to him? But church, we got to make a course correction on something. Too often, for too long, church has, has operated, church as a whole has operated that get them saved, get them baptized, and then the work is over. We have got to forsake that false teaching. Baptism is not the finish line. It is the starting line of a marathon of being transformed radically by the grace that has saved us. So what do I do in light of experiencing this grace that God has given us? In light of him saving me from my sins. What should I do? Look at verse 13. Then, okay, so this is in response to God restoring us. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. If you have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, if you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God, then this is a command from Jesus. Tell others of the grace you have received. David's response, because he knew God had forgiven him, was, Lord, I'm going to go tell others how they can experience the same grace that I've received. Now, for some of you, when I start talking about evangelism, there's a knot and a lump that forms in your throat. Your chest tightens, your heart beat gets quicker. And you're going, oh, I was right with you right till there. Pastor, I can't do that. I cannot share the gospel. I can't remember Bible verses. I, I can't remember an outline. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Stop. 
Do you honestly believe that God is big enough in his grace to save you that he would leave you powerless and unable to do that which he has called you to? Maybe you can't remember the Romans road. Maybe you can't remember a faith outline. But you can remember your story. You can remember where God found you. You can remember from what God saved you from. And this is what we do. Four parts. Three minutes. Number one, what was your life like before Jesus found you? Yeah, we shouldn't live there. We shouldn't wallow in there. But sometimes I think we need to... We had been saved for a while. We kind of got to go back in time and remember what ditch God pulled us out of before we start believing that we should have been here the whole time and we were good and God should have saved us. All right? But we need to share. What was life like before Christ? How did you know that you needed to be saved? What did God do that called you and convicted you of your sin so that you would call on Him for salvation? Was it vacation Bible school? What was it? service? Was it you found yourself without a job, marriage hanging on by a thread? Been in bars all your life? You know, the average uh, Hallmark movie that comes on around this time of year? What, what, what is it? What did God use to show you you need Him? And then tell Him what has God done for you since he saved you? Here's the last one. Don't forget this. Extend the same grace to them that God extended to you. You've shared your testimony. Do you want to trust Jesus Christ and have your sins forgiven and become a child of God? it. Four things. Three minutes. That could make an eternal difference. And here's the thing. It's not on you. It's not on me. I am a naturally shy person. I, I would be the type of guy, if I was not in the position I am, which proves God has a sense of humor, by the way. Okay? I would be the guy that would show up. If, if service starts at 11, I'm going to be here at 11.05. I'm going to be a good Baptist, which means I'm on the back row. I, I'm going to sing to the top of my lungs. I'm going to amen the preacher. And when the invitation is over, I'm gone. It will be the fastest you have ever seen me move. That is my personality. But I get to share the gospel because the Holy Spirit who is living inside of me, who if you are a blood-ball born-again child of God is living inside of you, says, open your mouth. I'll put the words there. And then you share. And here's the thing. Your job's done. Put your hand in the, the gospel seed bag. Scatter it. Go back and water it. But the increase belongs to God. So it's not that we can. The only question I have for us this morning is, will we love God? Are we so grateful for the grace of God that we cannot help but share what we have seen and heard? Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together?
Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity just to come and stand before your people. Lord, I don't know what they're dealing with right now. But I do know that we live in a fallen world, and so everybody in this room is dealing with something. And it's something that's painful. Sometimes we, we open our eyes and we look around and we wonder, how, how did we get here? Father, I thank you that there's not a place that we can go that the grace of God cannot reach us. It's not about us stopping and running back to you because you ran after us. So it's about us stopping where we are in our sin, admitting our need for you and receiving your grace that you're offering. So Lord, for those here this morning who need to receive that grace, Father, I pray that they would. But Lord, those that have been saved by your grace, may we always praise you for it. And may we be about our Father's business. We're not meant to be grace hoarders. We're meant to be grace dispensers. And so as you have given us grace, Father, may we give it to others. Would you put a burden in our hearts, a fire raging in our soul that wants to see the lost come to know Jesus Christ and be saved. However you have spoken, whatever you're asking us to do, Father, we give this time to you. Give us the power and ability to respond to you in worship in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is going to be open. If I can pray with you, or you want to pray here in the front pew. Whatever God has said, let's respond as we sing. Come just as you are.